Welcome to the ALN podcast series. Today's episode is brought to you by the Andrew James Advisory Group. AJAG provides training in the ISO 55000 standard, and our world-class training qualifies students to take the ALN A55K certification exam, an industry recognition of an individual's knowledge of the standard. Certified individuals add value to any organization's asset management initiatives. Realizing your ISO 55000 vision need not be painful. Visit us at www.andrewjamesadvisory.com to see how we can help. Now, enjoy the podcast. So, um, Nick, uh, if you can bring up the slides, we'll do uh, a brief introduction. And while Nick is doing that, I always want to thank our uh, uh patron members and our organizational members who make this type of programming available. And uh, I, I find this very exciting and I've been looking forward to this next presentation from the Government uh, Accountability Office. And uh, it's quite, quite the honor to have four directors, Andrew Van Ah, who is the Director of Infrastructure, Elizabeth Repco, Director of Surface Transportation Issues, Heather Krauss, Director of Aviation Issues, and Jill Naman, Director for Federal Asset Management Issues. I think these all tie together so importantly in infrastructure. Uh, we'll find out how the different uh, sectors uh, work together and how they uh, separate out. And I'll hand things over to uh, Andrew Van Ah, and uh, um, we can stop sharing those slides. And Andrew, you have the ability to share slides or if you would like us to share them, uh, we can do that. Thanks, Mike. Let me see if I can get this going here. Yes. Um, that's showing up. If we see it. And uh, okay. looks like, uh, uh, do you want to run it from uh, uh, the beginning? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. All right. So one second here. Okay, uh, we'll, I'm gonna go back now. <laughs> Maybe I can't control these very well. <laughs> there we go. Uh, thanks, Mike, for uh, inviting us uh, to join you all today. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to engage with you all on the work we do uh, around infrastructure. Uh, and of course, it's you know obviously a very critical time uh, in the world of infrastructure with the IIJA. Uh, creating sort of a once-in-a-generation type uh, opportunity for investment um, where, you know, we can, you know, really make some, uh, presents the opportunity to really make some important improvements in terms of uh, access to infrastructure uh, to improve the, uh, the, the condition of our infrastructure uh, and to really think differently about uh, equity within, you know, how we think about this, this investment going forward. Um, and so, uh, you know, today I thought, you know, Mike gave us a fairly broad charge for what we could talk about. And so I thought we would sort of give you an overview of uh, the physical infrastructure team and what we do. We're, we're focused on infrastructure, but there are other teams within GAO also uh, that look at infrastructure in different ways. For example, our defense capabilities and management team would look at uh, infrastructure um, for uh, the Department of Defense, uh, for example. But but we look at um, a number of different areas of infrastructure and I'll get to that in a second. And then we thought we would give a little bit of a nod to our asset management framework, talk a little bit about how we apply it. Um, and then we would kind of go around Robin here with my colleagues. We can talk about each of our portfolios of infrastructure and some of the key issues uh, that we see in each of those areas. Things like, you know, key recommendations that we've made recently, uh, things uh, related to GAO's high risk list, uh, duplication, overlap, and fragmentation issues, uh, and of course, uh, implications of the IIJA for us going forward in terms of mandates that we have to look at, uh, as well as oversight uh, that we are thinking of and planning on conducting uh, related to that, to that spending. Uh, and so uh, Mike alluded a little bit to, to what GAO is, and of course, I'm sure you're all uh, sort of broadly aware of GAO. We're the congressional, you know, called the congressional watchdog. Um, and we examine how federal taxpayer dollars are spent, provide Congress and federal agencies with objective nonpartisan fact-based information, 
<clears throat> and hopefully help the government save money and work more efficiently. Um, and of course, when it comes to infrastructure and asset management, you know, for our team, this kind of comes uh, in different ways. So for for federal agencies, uh, you know, we're looking at how they are managing their assets, for example, for federal buildings or federal personal property or federal fleets uh, or VA hospitals, for example. Um, in other instances, we're looking at how the agencies are um, ensuring that taxpayer dollars that go to infrastructure, that those infrastructure owners uh, have good asset management practices. So we might look at how the Federal Highway Administration or Federal Transit Administration uh, works with uh, state DOTs or transit agencies to develop better asset management uh, uh, processes. Um, so here's uh, kind of an overview of our the physical infrastructure team and our issue areas. <clears throat> we cover a wide range of infrastructure issues, and this isn't really a complete listing, um, but we are separated into sort of four broad portfolios. <clears throat> our surface transportation portfolio includes highways, transit systems, maritime infrastructure, ports, rail systems, oil and gas pipelines. We look at this from a variety of different perspectives. We look at it from the perspective of safety and resilience uh, and you know, the performance of, of our, uh, you know, how well these programs are running, how well the uh, money is being uh, managed, and of course, you know, how things like better transit, uh, better asset management practices uh, sort of uh, filter their, their, their way through, through the, uh, the entire system. Uh, our aviation portfolio uh, includes looking at airports, air traffic control systems. Uh, NextGen has always been something that we've uh, had a hand in, uh, in taking a look at. Uh, space transportation has been a, a, a new area we've been involved with recently, uh, and uncrewed aerial systems as well. Uh, our federal asset portfolio is also quite broad, includes you know, federal buildings, the Postal Service, federal fleet, and federal personal property, also includes security of federal buildings. Uh, so we look at uh, a whole host of issues there. And then our telecommunications portfolio uh, looks at, you know, fixed broadband and wireless networks. Um, spectrum management issues are uh, increasingly important and cut across some of these other portfolios that's weird, that, uh, on the page here. Uh, and then we also look closely at emergency alerting <clears throat> and communication systems. So I'll turn it over to my colleague, Jill, to talk a little bit about our asset management framework and uh, give a little bit of, of an overview there. I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. Uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about some of the ways that we've applied it. Jill? All right. Thanks so much, Andrew. Um, so our asset management framework, like um, Andrew said, this is maybe not news to you, but we thought it'd be useful um, context to the rest of our discussion. Um, we undertook the work to, to develop this framework to really see what asset management practices have been um, taken across the federal portfolio and, and what standards and leading practices may be the most applicable to the federal government. And, um, and when we talk about an asset management framework, what, we, what we're really referring to are processes, roles, responsibilities, uh, policies that, that are being used to make asset management decisions. Um, in addition to laying out this uh, framework, um, this report also really acknowledges that organizations can face some challenges in implementing this kind of approach, um, particularly organizational change, culture change, uh, capacity challenges, and it gives some, um, some strategies for how to, how to think about incorporating this kind of change in your organization. Um, as shown in this in this figure, uh, this kind of approach really includes buy-in at all different levels of an organization. Uh, there's planning and, and goal setting at the top, really understanding how each of an organization's assets would contribute to the goals, and then managing them and investing in those assets in order to maximize those goals. And then finally, a, you know, kind of a feedback loop of um, a culture of leadership support. Uh, effective review and feedback and decision making. Um, and, and a final thing about on this slide is, um, you know, that we did this report, we focused on real property issues, but um, this kind of framework can really apply to any kind of asset. Um, ISO defines an asset as any item, thing, or entity that has potential value or, um, or actual value to an organization. So overall, um, this kind of framework and an asset management approach can apply to 
managing assets broadly and, and helping federal agencies optimize uh, limited funding and, and target um, investment decisions. Andrew, can you move to the next slide? I'm trying to, Joe. Yeah. Whoops. Oh, went too far. All right. So on this slide, uh, this shows the, the six key characteristics of our asset management framework. And, um, and we developed this framework and, and these characteristics uh, through a number of in-depth interviews with experts and organizations. We reviewed the ISO 55,000 standards, other leading practices and literature and, and um, pulled, pulled uh, information from all that together to create these, um, these six characteristics. Um, so I'll go through them briefly. Uh, the first one is formal policies and plans. And what we mean by this is um, that these kinds of uh, plans can really help agencies take a more strategic approach in asset management decision-making. And, and the things that you would expect to see in, in formal policies and plans are roles and responsibilities, um, resources required to implement the plans, potential obstacles, um, and strategies to address them. Um, the next is maximizing uh, the uh, portfolio's value. And by this, we mean uh, prioritizing investments to help target uh, resources towards assets that will provide the greatest value to the agency in, in meeting its uh, mission and objectives. Uh, and this can mean, for example, a scoring process for prioritizing proje projects based on things like uh, the risk that an asset poses to the agency's operations, the condition of the asset, the cost or the impact of the, of the project. Uh, next is maintaining leadership support. And we heard this uh, loud and clear from the experts that we interviewed in developing this framework that this is vital um, to, to a, this kind of framework and approach being successful. Um, also, it's challenging. Um, to balance, you know, incorporating this kind of approach in an organization um, you know, that, that may take time to, to really develop and incorporate. Uh, and, and it's hard to, you know, balance that against short-term infrastructure investment needs that, that might come up. Um, next is using quality data. And uh, this includes collecting accurate uh, data elements um, that could uh, be things like the agent and location of assets, um, how well the assets performing, uh, replacement value, and, and how important or critical the asset is to the agency's mission. And those data elements are really um, important and needed to be able to make those decisions uh, that I was talking about in the maximizing value characteristic. Uh, next is promoting a collaborative organizational culture, and, and this really includes communicating information across um, boundaries in an, in an agency that might traditionally um, not allow those kind of communication to happen. So really helping break those boundaries down and, and communicate across them to be able to make effective decisions about assets broadly. And the last one is um, evaluating and improving asset management practices. So uh, as I was saying at the beginning, uh, this kind of continuous feedback loop of evaluating the framework, um, implementing needed changes, making sure that it really still reflects the organization's goals that, um, that it's trying to achieve and, and making sure that it um, is helping the agency optimize the value of the assets. Um, so those are the six characteristics. Andrew, if you go forward to the next slide, I can talk about one of the reports um, that I was involved in that applied this framework and then hand it off to my colleagues. Um, the one I'll talk about is, is the one on the far right on um, real property asset management and disaster resilience. And we used um, several of the characteristics in the framework and really looked at how um, uh, a few selected agencies were incorporating natural disaster information in their investment decisions. Um, and we did this work kind of in the context of like, the increasing number and severity of natural disasters, climate change, altering the characteristics of these events and the difficulty in making strategic investments um, to reduce risks in the future because 
you know, maybe needing to deal with immediate uh, repair needs uh, from damage from an event. Um, and, and we wanted to demonstrate that, um, you know, an asset management and an asset management approach can be a really useful way to guide uh, investment decisions and, and show the opportunities of that to, to um, enhance resilience. Um, so first we looked at uh, uh, the uh, characteristic that I mentioned of establishing policies and plans. Did agencies have um, these kinds of policies and plans in place and did they mention um, natural disaster resilience? And um, we found, so we looked at four different agencies, the National Park Service, uh, GSA, Army Corps, and the Fish and Wildlife Service. And we found th that three of those agencies did have some documentation to help guide their portfolio-wide um, decision-making and um, uh, related to natural disaster resilience efforts. And they covered things like uh, direction to the decision-makers, um, information resources, and uh, procedures to, to identify uh, the nat and assess the natural disaster risks. Um, we also looked at the characteristic of using quality information and we're asking, you know, were agencies collecting uh, data on natural disaster vulnerabilities? And uh, we found that a couple of the agencies were starting to do that. Uh, the National Park Service and Army Corps um, uh, had begun collecting some natural disaster risk and climate data uh, that uh, could help them, you know, evaluate and make decisions about their portfolios. Um, and one example was the National Park Service had coordinated with a university to um, assess the vulnerability of all the assets around the National Mall, uh, the buildings, uh, shelters, um, the trails, parking lots. And, um, and that assessment really showed the extent of, um, of those assets, how they were exposed to coastal hazards and sea level rise. And then the Park Service combined that assessment information with other information that they had about the assets to determine which structures were both highly vulnerable and had high criticality to the park and that could help guide their decisions on, on investments related to those assets. And the final um, characteristic that I'll talk about um, that we looked at in this report is maximizing portfolio value. Um, we're looking at did decision makers involve, um, or decision making involve considering natural disaster risks. Um, and we found that the agencies we looked at had, um, did have processes for prioritizing, prioritizing projects and investments, and, but they were based on things like the asset condition, the cost, the criticality to the mission. They hadn't really incorporated yet information on um, natural disaster resilience into these investment decisions for their portfolio. They had maybe made some of those decisions or some considered some of that information on a project by project basis, but weren't really considering um, that kind of information uh, portfolio wide. So we also looked at uh, government wide guidance um, uh, related to um, asset management and planning to see if, uh, if it was included in that kind of guidance. And, and we found that um, the guidance does direct agencies to identify climate change risks and, and conduct some risk management practices, but it doesn't really include um, direction to incorporate natural disaster resilience into these decision-making. And, and that was the basis for a recommendation we made to OMB to um, enhance the guidance to make that link. Um, and those were kind of the key things from that we used in the framework in that report. Uh, Andrew, should I hand it back to you? Yeah, thanks, Jill. And um, I, I know our colleague Bizarrevko uh, has a, uh, some a time constraint here, so I kind of want to move forward. I, uh, just mentioned briefly the other two reports that are, are on this slide uh, where we used an asset management framework uh, on the VA. I, I just really wanted to emphasize that we, we use that framework, um, you know, in a lot of different ways. Um, it's a kind of a very flexible tool for us. So in, for, for the VA real property job, for example, you know, we honed in on a couple of the, the, um, the, of the parts of the framework in order to sort of answer the question, you know, our congressional clients were concerned that 
Um, you know, there was many offices involved. Perhaps there needed to be a reorganization around this, and so we really looked at the 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 the, the parts of it related to leadership um, support, uh, as well as uh, creating a collaborative environment uh, in that report, and applied those criteria to what we saw in terms of how the different offices communicated, how they identified their roles and responsibilities uh, related to asset management more broadly. And on the transit asset management um, uh, report, you know, we combined the asset management framework with a whole host of other criteria. So it's, you know, it's not just sort of the be all end all of what we use in this, in this regard. So, you know, we brought in uh, program management criteria, we brought in performance management criteria, we brought in um, specific criteria to managing transit assets that exist in other forums uh, and use that collectively and holistically to try to uh, uh, evaluate how uh, FTA was trying to you know, evaluate the plans that transit agencies had in terms of uh, their new asset management plans. Um, but with that, I just want to, we can come back to that later. We'll move on to uh, just kind of talking about our portfolios broadly and some of the key issues. Uh, and I'll turn it over to Business, and she's got uh, about just a few minutes before she has to sign off. Bizza, are you there? I am. Can you hear me? Okay, good. Been having yep. some micro microphone problems, so it's working well. So thanks, Andrew. My name is Bizza Repco, and I work on Surface Transportation, Director of Surface Transportation Issues and PI. And what we just wanted to do is kind of walk through the way that asset management can intersect with our various portfolios. And so in the surface transportation world, you know, the idea of asset management, some of the things we were talking about, like strategic planning or performance management, certainly intersects with my area of work, whether you're thinking about something like the condition of assets, you know, something like um, pavement or bridges on the national highway system, or you're thinking about um, private assets like um, the railroads. And uh, when you talk to FHWA or when they talk about asset management, they'll talk about two things, sort of like prioritizing what, number, number one, prioritize what we need to do now and plan for it. And number two, you know, what we need to do in the future. So I'm just kind of organize myself around that as well. So some of the things that they need to plan and organize now. So several years ago, uh, the Congress passed a requirement for um, the states to develop transportation asset management plans for the national highway system. And those plans need to include, they need to include pavement and they need to include bridges. They're encouraged to include more and also encouraged to include more than just the national highway system. But they need to be plans that have things like a summary of the assets, explanation of the conditions of the assets, performance measures and gap analysis and things like life cycle analysis. And you know, our ongoing or recently completed work related to these areas really demonstrates, it dovetails nicely with what Jill was talking about, it really demonstrates the importance of the need for leadership and also the importance for performance management and making data-driven decisions. We've made several recommendations in this area. I mean, essentially, you know, the states can't really know where they're going if they don't know where they are. And so we have recommendations, you know, related to them completing this performance management process. And it's something that feeds into our high risk work uh, that looks at the funding of the nation's surface transportation system. I think secondly, looking forward to where we're going, I think there's a couple things um, in the IIJA that are really interesting um, in terms of the perspective of a forward look for asset management. And one of them is building into the legislation a definition of resilience. Um, it is a definition of how you build resilience for climate risks and also for the risks of natural disasters, very similar to what Jill talked about. Um, maybe there needs to be more of that in the ass in the in the, the um, in the real property area. Um, it also has some funding streams to help states address resilience. And part of the reason I bring this up is because that dovetails with another high risk area that the GIO has, which is the funding, uh, the, the fiscal, the, the federal fiscal, that's not easy to say, the federal fiscal uh, exposure to climate change. So another area where looking forward, there might be something in the IIJA related to asset management. There's also several additional areas that Andrew was sort of flagging before for us to continue to do work in areas that would be part of asset management within the IIJA, such as the use of discretionary grants, how there's equity in planning, and also planning of the electric vehicle infrastructure. So lots of different ways that we're going to interface with this topic in the future with work that we're doing. 
So that's a little overview of surface transportation. With that, I will turn it to Heather to talk about aviation. Great, thanks. Thanks, Fizzle. Um, Sumi can hear me, I'm lighting up. Um, yeah, I oversee our civil aviation work. Uh, appreciate the opportunity. I mean, we, in the area of aviation, as Andrew mentioned early on, we do work looking at next-gen and FAA's um, efforts to modernize the air traffic control system, um, have some work ongoing on that topic right now um, to look and kind of apply project management practices to see how effectively it is being implemented and how it was impacted by COVID in particular um, and sort of how the agency is adjusting its approach to to implementation given some of those impacts. So um, certainly uh, some of the practices that are in the framework, uh, there's some broad themes that are very similar across that as we do that kind of assessment. Um, so, so you can look forward to seeing some of that work in the future. Um, I would say in terms of assets in the aviation realm, I mean, we do a lot of work looking at airports and airport funding and financing. Um, a lot of that work in the past has looked at, you know, the federal grant programs, the airport improvement program, um, the PFC, the passenger facility charge, and sort of the, the ways that airports are financing projects, whether it's through federal money or other um, sources in terms of bonding and, and other, um, you know, debt that they take on to finance projects. Um, also, our work has looked at, uh, you know, the costs of, of projects and sort of plans that airports have going forward, the types of investments that they're looking to make, and sort of the gaps between um, what, what they have planned and the, and the money coming in. Most recently, we really focused in in on um, the CARES and the COVID relief related bills that provided another $20 billion to airports. Um, on top of that, obviously, as Biz had mentioned, the IAJA did have another $25 billion to FA, um, 15 billion of that going to AIP pro, um, discretionary or formula projects, uh, 5 billion going to a discretionary grant program for airport terminal development pro projects, which would be a new program for FAA as well as another 5 billion to FA um, facilities and equipment and basically upgrading air traffic control facilities. Um, you know, that's a huge influx of money for FAA. And some, you know, when we looked at the CARES and COVID related relief bills and their implementation of that, we found that FAA, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot of money for them to process. It's a lot of money for them to oversee and verify. And so there was some challenges around, you know, being able to get that money out quickly um, and with the you know, expedited timelines that they were looking at for those projects. So, you know, they tried to respond to that by bringing in more folks and more resources and contracting for resources. Um, but we anticipate some of those challenges they may face as they uh, manage through the IAJA and, and have to deal with just their annual sort of day-to-day -day, um, processing of AIP applications, PFC applications, as well as setting up a new program um, for airport terminals. Um, I will turn that over to uh, Jill, I believe, to talk about federal assets again. Sure, just a couple of things I'll mention about some of the um... Uh, upcoming or ongoing work that, that we're doing in this area. Um, Biza mentioned our high risk uh, work and managing federal real property is, is something, is a high risk area that we have and, and um, data reliability is a key part of, of that high risk area. Um, we found some really serious data errors um, that undermine the reliability of the federal real property profile database um, and had some recommendations to GSA to, uh, to address those. Um, and uh, so we'll definitely be following up on, on, on that work and, and, and looking for uh, any, um, any improvements that have been in, uh, happening in that uh, in our next round of the high risk uh, report in the next year. Um, uh, we're also uh, undergoing or undertaking some work right now on um, uh, deferred maintenance and, and using the framework again on, um, on uh, particularly the, uh, again, the, the uh, ideas of, of data reliability and prioritizing um, uh, uh, projects and looking at how agencies um, are 
um, uh, defining deferred maintenance and, and um, using that kind of information to make decisions about what to prioritize in terms of, of, of conducting that maintenance. Um, and then I'll touch a little bit too on, on um, IIJA. Um, uh, Biza mentioned the uh, charging uh, electric vehicle charging infrastructure. We've got some work on the postal side of the portfolio looking at um, uh, uh, the postal services um, contract to, uh, to um, acquire some new delivery vehicles and the extent to which those might be electric. Uh, we're also looking at how um, uh, postal facilities might be used for public charging infrastructure. Um, and we have other another ongoing job looking at how um, other agencies, not the Postal Service, but other federal agencies are transitioning to electric vehicles and some of the challenges that they're um, experiencing. So um, those are those are some of the, the key areas we'll be working on in, in, that, in uh, this portfolio and kind of how they relate to to asset management. Let's back to Andrew. Yeah, and I'll just touch on telecommunications a little bit, Mike, and then we can open it up for discussion and, and questions. So uh, within the telecommunications portfolio, of course, this is largely private infrastructure we're talking about when it comes to uh, telecommunications networks. But we're also looking at how the federal government manages spectrum uh, within uh, federal agency uses of spectrum. Uh, and so a couple of the big themes that come out of this that are sort of you know, connected to the asset management framework where we don't necessarily apply it uh, directly, uh, but it's nonetheless sort of um, within the same realm, right? It's, it's, it's uh, things like, um, are we you know, going through a data-driven kind of process to understand where our needs are? So we had a number of recommendations around broadband mapping um, and had some recent reports about FCC's efforts to improve those maps uh, so that we know where we need to be uh, putting this, uh, putting our our investment going forward. Um, the other big area that's sort of related is again going to that um, creating a, co a, a a culture of coordination um, and uh, within both the broadband side of things as well as the federal spectrum management side of things. So we've looked very closely at how uh, FCC, NTIA within the Department of Commerce, and RUS within the uh, Department of Agriculture have tried to work together to understand where each of their respective programs that can fund broadband infrastructure, um, where, they're, where they're putting that money, what kind of assets are going out there, what kind of speeds they're looking at, what kind of uh, technologies they're, they're uh, uh, considering, and how well that coordinated, uh, coordinated effort is working to sort of achieve uh, the goals of the, those respective programs. Uh, which kind of gets to the to the other uh, area we've had a number of recommendations in, which is in terms of performance. Um, so whether you know FCC actually has good data and understanding of um, how well uh, these investments are meeting it, its goals to you know bring uh, broadband to uh, universal broadband to to all Americans. Um, and so you know those are the areas that kind of you know link up to it. Going forward, of course, the IIJA provides you know 40 plus billion dollars more for broadband infrastructure that's going to be going out through a different mechanism than um, than federal funding has gone out in, in the past right so now it's going to be administered uh, by the states uh, you know and an NTIA Department of Commerce is going to have a role in understanding those state plans and approving those state plans and put setting in some requirements in terms of how those plans um, you know what, what kind of requirements those plans have to meet and so there's uh, questions of uh, performance and fragmentation, um, and you know, uh, you know how we're using data to understand where to to, to best uh, aim our, our our investment dollars, all sort of multiply um, and become much more uh, you know uh, difficult difficult to to address. Um, and so going forward, we're going to be looking at you know different ways that we can uh, understand how NTI is moving forward with that, looking at specific programs and how they're going to exist within that this new construct. Um, and you know, hopefully have a continuing oversight role as that money rolls out. Um, so Mike, I think with that, I think we've um, kind of gone through our respective portfolios here. Um, would you like to take over and facilitate? Yes, uh, but first of all, okay. uh, great. That is so many things. First of all, Jill, thank you for emphasizing the framework. That is something that I think is highly important to remind the agencies to be cognizant of 
as they're setting up their rules and regulations. So that's real important. And first of all, thank you for doing that uh, uh, report and establishing that. We can tie that report to a growth in federal agency asset management activities. People were kind of attending our events and talking about it, but it wasn't until that came out that people were confident in saying that they were doing it. So as Jack Dempsey was saying, uh, and Jack, if you want to uh, jump in to join, uh, your role of uh, establishing uh, the, uh, the guidelines and ability uh, uh, to have confidence in proceeding is just wonderful. Um, Heather, um, we had met with the FAA years ago and boy, were they desperate for money because they had huge need and no money. And I, I, I hope there are things that uh, a structured approach to asset management can help them with in order to use those desperately needed funds before they expire. So I know you can't influence that part that you're just kind of there to watch to see how things go, but uh, we'll reach out to our, our colleagues there and see what information we can be uh, uh, guiding towards them. And then uh, um, Andrew, earlier today, um, we had an amazing presentation by the Michigan Infrastructure Council. And if there's gonna be any look at how states are using uh, federal money for their infrastructure, keep an eye on Michigan. They are head and shoulders above everybody else. I'll, I'll make a connection, uh, I'll share you the links. Um, but Jack, are you as uh, uh, blown away as I am by this? And uh... No, it's, it's, it's fantastic. I think when the, when the GAO study came out in uh, 2019, like the GAO 1957, and they established that, that framework, it was, I mean, it's just it's just provide the clarity and simplicity that I think the the marketplace is really looking for. So it's been really exciting to see how that that framework has been uh, reused by GAO and other reports. And it, I think it just kind of confirms that uh, that the that the work that GAO do, did with that first first site, you know, that first report, um, really kind of. Um, shed light on a, on a lot of things. And, and I think it also, in, in a very important way, um, made asset management much more approachable. You know, if, if, if you read ISO 55,000 standards, they're very complex, even cryptic. Um, I mean, they're written at a kind of master level. I mean, they're, they're, they're stating a best in practice at, at the highest level of kind of nirvana in asset management. Um, there's a syntax to them that makes it difficult to understand because it's like the whole system has to operate at once. Um, what GAO did in the report, I think was, was just exceptional, um, really kind of showed, these are the simple things that are really important, um, provide some construct uh, to understand them, made, it, made asset management in general much more approachable. So it's really exciting to see the work that they're doing, using that and reusing that, uh, that framework in, uh, in follow-on studies. So I can't wait to see uh, more of that happening here in the future. And uh, Jim Dieter, uh, CEO of the ALN, has a question. He, he threw it in the chat, but Jim, you're there. If you would like to uh, just come on and ask that yourself. And also uh, make some any comment that you feel free want to. Uh, yeah, well, I'm wearing out remarkable and amazing, but uh, uh, it's where we've where all of this has come uh, since 2014 when the ISO standard came out. I know there's other antecedents, but it's just been remarkable. And uh, you know the power this has uh, to make huge differences in how all that money gets spent and making those dollars go, go the furthest they can go, I think is a huge part of that that maybe we haven't, haven't addressed. Uh, the specific question I had for Andrew was about uh, the framework and the applicability of that. Sometimes uh, people don't understand, you know, the the less, at least less physical assets like broadband, uh, you know, non-physical or intangible assets, and the applicability of that framework. Do you do you see it as applicable to those uh, types of assets? Yeah, so the way that we've kind of approached that, Jim, is, is again, since that's 
private infrastructure that the federal government is subsidizing um, or providing funding for them to build out to areas that are they wouldn't ordinarily do uh, from an economic standpoint, right? So, so we kind of think of it, you know, a little bit another a higher level up, but it's sort of the same kind of structured approach. So when we think about does the federal government have uh, plans and roles of responsibilities? Uh, so is there a strategic plan available for, for broadband uh, um, uh, adoption and, and access and, and, and rollout? Um, so we have a couple of ongoing pieces of work that are going to address that and hopefully have some recommendations around that coming out in the next couple of months. Um, but so that's one way of looking at it. And then, then the, sort of the, the other part of, you know, creating a culture of uh, uh, coordination. So the agencies all have to kind of work together in order to make sure they're making the most of that investment. Uh, and so there's some MOUs in place. There are other things, other ways that they try to coordinate. And so that's another way that we use that approach to kind of address some of the work that we're doing in the telecommunications area. And of course, data is so important. Uh, having the, the right data drive the decision making, um, that's another part where we kind of, you know, again, using that very basic, simple approach to it, but those are all applicable, but kind of at a higher level up than you'd get when you're look, if you're looking at a specific agency and how they manage their specific assets, for example. Yeah, that's great. You know, it's so much of asset management uh, is, well, we got a plan. It's obvious. There's no silver bullet, anything weird. You know, it's not groundbreaking. It's just actually having that long-term view and doing it. And, uh, thanks again for- Yeah, and I, absolutely. And I, I just also mentioned, I just started to think about this recently because spectrum, um, which is, you know, just radio frequency spectrum, uh, <laughs> Uh, is also an asset that the federal government uh, needs to manage. And NTIA uh, has, you know, the interagency uh, process to manage that has shown a couple of cracks and fissures over the last uh, couple of years here, and some sometimes well publicized with planes potentially falling out of the sky if we turn on 5G antennas and things like that. And so I've just started to think about that and more along the lines of how are we managing that asset within this framework too. So. Um, but yeah, so I think it can be applied in so many different ways. Just to, one last thought is uh, in the Michigan panel, we got into a discussion that's uh, near and dear to my heart because we have a, a standard that we've promoted through ASTM on that's an, uh, an asset taxonomy uh, that, you know, in a fairly short document just talks about different asset types from physical assets to non physical assets. But what they were very, very much stressing. Uh, was on the very other end from the non-physical was, you know, the basic uh, natural assets and that they're moving into managing their natural assets. And I think, uh, you know, it's another interesting area for consideration as well, that uh, the government, the federal government, and of course the states own so much, uh, so much land that uh, applying these principles to the land, you know, possibly the air, the water. Uh, and I used to, uh, used to work for companies that manage satellites for the government. So uh, space is uh, one of those areas too, we should be thinking about and thinking about how we manage it. So lots to do. Thank so uh, yeah, Jim uh, mentioned something that uh, I'd like to ask, and I don't know rules and regulations, so I don't want to ask anything that's untoward. Let me know if it's not appropriate. But from what I understand, uh, you are tasked to uh, review the uh, IIJA expenditures. So that work will be coming after the fact. But are there measurements and discussions that you're having with any of the agencies that help them understand what you will be measuring? Uh, or are they just on their own to look at the reports? You know, they're there and publicly available, so they should be looking at them. What is that process? And, and how can, just what is that process? Is there any way to help them or influence them with their measurements? Yeah, so just to clarify, I mean, we don't have a charge necessarily to oversee all of those funds or to do anything in particular. We have uh, some 25, 
26, 27, I can't remember the last number, a uh, number of mandates uh, in that bill to look at various aspects um, of, of how, you know, you know, we have two mandates to look at how um, equity will be, you know, considered, for example. Um, but so, so it is hard to kind of get at your question, Mike. I guess in some ways, what, what we'll be doing, for, so for example, like we have some work going on looking at NTIA's new programs related to broadband. And so we be, we'll, we start by looking at, well, how are you setting up your performance measures? How are you setting up your, you know, where you want to make those investments? How are you considering some of the same things along the, the lines of that, uh, of the framework? Um, and so we, you know, we, we kind of try to get in there on, on an, er, you know, early when, uh, when we have the opportunity to sort of give them an idea of like, here's how to, how to set up the program, program well to begin with, or what we will be looking for later, <laughs> um, you know, give them that kind of a heads up. Jill or Heather, do you want to weigh in on that? I mean, just to add, I mean, along the lines of what Andrew, what you're saying, I mean, I think, um, you know, we have had some discussions with say prior work related to discretionary grants and sort of the need for more transparency on some of those decisions. And so the IEJ has a number of new discretionary grant programs that they are looking to set up. Um, and so just encouraging uh, the agency to look at some of the things we found and ways that they might wanna think through setting up those programs to avoid um, us coming in later and sort of coming up with the same findings as we have in the past. So that is something we, we try to do as well. Bill, is there any comment you'd like to make on that? Adam's kind of spared the IIJA mandates in the uh, asset <laughs> federal asset management portfolio. So nothing else to add. Okay. So um, Marty Rowland says that uh, uh, nature as infrastructure is very important. He's doing a study on how to give subsid uh, subsidies to private forest owners. Mar Marty is in, uh, uh, involved in many things. Um, and I want to uh, scroll down and get to that question again. I'm sorry. Uh, Jim, can you see that? Suddenly, I'm not able to access that question. Oh, there it is. You got it? OK, go ahead. Uh, when they should be paying a resource rent uh, because private ownership means they exclude others. So um, is, is there anything uh, that you're dealing with in terms of natural resources, uh, Jill, perhaps? Uh, uh, in the uh, natural disasters, uh, when you're working with that, is, is natural resources part of the asset management that uh, is considered? I'm not sure specifically. I mean, we did um, in that job. We did, um, you know, try to select agencies that had a, a broad range of different kinds of assets. So. Um, so like with the Army Corps, you know, uh, some of the assets we were looking at were um, like the flood mitigation um, structures that they have, the levees and things like that. And, um, uh, you know, other, other things like, um, you know, roads to different, um, you know, locations or, or, or um, structures. So we did try to try to get a, uh, try to get a broad, um, representation of the different kinds of assets, but nothing really jumps to my mind that, that we're focused on specifically natural um, assets. Yeah, I mean, as mentioned before, I think the one thing that pops to my mind is, is radio frequency spectrum, um, you know, which is uh, a, a natural phenomenon, of course. And uh, the work that we've been doing to look at how um, federal agencies and NTIA manages federal uses spectrum and just to even understand the various uses and how they might conflict um, and where there, you know, there needs to be, you know, more interagency study and coordination. So, for example, we did some work recently looking at uh, whether satellites in a 24 gigahertz range that, you know, the, those are sensing satellites, they, they recognize natural radio frequency um, emissions from the planet. Uh, to enable weather forecasts, things like water vapor and other things that that emit sort of in the 24 gigahertz range. So, you know, when you when FCC auctions off uh, licenses to turn on 5G satellites in the 24, you know, adjacent bands, there's the potential to interfere with those 
uh, satellite's ability to sense those signals. And so, um, you know, that gets in, again into all of the various things that are involved in looking at the framework, right? What's the leadership on this? <laughs> how, what, what data do we have to inform our decision-making? Um, you know, how are the agencies coordinating to understand the potential for interference here? Um, you know, and, and how do we kind of evaluate, you know, going forward, whether, whether there's something that needs to be addressed? Um, so that's one area that I can think of. Well, thank you very much. Jack Dempsey, uh, I think you had a question or a comment. Yeah, I, I mean, it's kind of a general comment, but really interested in GAO's uh, perception of this. So, you know, we go back to um, executive order, I think it's 13357, I think it was 2003, that really kind of um, uh, got the ball roll, rolling or, or basically reinvigorated, I think, a conversation around asset management. Um, prior to that, we had uh, GIPRA and the CFO Act. Um, and, and, you know, things take a long time in federal government to really understand and apply. Um, so there's a bit of progression thing that's been going on here. But would really be interested in, in GAO's um, insights on uh, what are they seeing? I mean, the executive branch is responding to laws and regulations. Um, they want to do the right thing. Everybody wants to do the right thing here. But how is uh, Congress's understanding of asset management evolving? And I guess what what are um, you know kind of a two sided question? Um, what's making sense to them? And where are the opportunities you think where uh, asset management can kind of continue to fill this void in terms of understanding how, how the government works and how it adds value? Heather, you haven't been on the spot too often. Let's put you on the spot. Yeah, great. Probably the one that uh, I, Jill's probably in a better position, but I, I can certainly, certainly try. Um, I mean, I, I think the sense, I mean, kind of focusing in on FAA, right? I mean, there's, uh, in, the, in that area, you have the modernization effort as well as existing systems that continue to have to operate as more things come online, um, as well as thinking about backup. And so I think, you know, there is interest in finding out how to most efficiently manage and use the limited resources that are needed to most effectively, you know, roll out those new programs to get to get the benefits that they're thinking with with modernizing the air traffic control system. So I think there is, you know, interest in, in finding ways to more effectively manage uh, for federal agencies to more effectively manage their programs. Um, I don't know if Jill or Andrew have more specific thoughts in their portfolios. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's been a more of a an understanding of the of what agencies are up against in terms of some of their assets. Yeah, uh, and, and Congress wanting to kind of get their hands around it, like something like, how do I, you know, we want to try to fix this problem. How do we fix it? Is it not, it's not just more money necessarily, right? It's, it's practices and policies and other things that the agencies have to have in place. But I think about, you know, some of the work that we get, and we had a lot of uh, interest around um, inland waterways infrastructure, for example, and just sort of trying to understand the, the, what state it really is in. Like it's the, the state of disrepair is, you know, kind of beyond what you can really, you know, put your arms around, right? So it's, it's a long-term prospect to really um, get assets into a state of good repair in some cases. So I think there's sort of a, a, a little bit of a reckoning for Congress to understand what that really looks like um, and then and sort of how to get, you know, make, make improvements along the way. Jill, do you want to jump in? Sure. Yeah, I'd agree with, um, with what both uh, Heather and Andrew said. Um, I think uh, from what we've heard from some of the clients that we work with on the um, my portfolio, they are, um, yeah, really interested in understanding um what is the state of of what we're dealing with and how can we um you know how can they help um uh and and uh, get the most out of what what we have and and the most out of the resources that they can that they can provide I, they understand um you know the agencies are constrained um and they are you know looking for ways that that they can um you know try to try to get as much out of, of what's available um 
I think also with this framework, some of the things that we've we've looked at some issues before in like a different way. And, and I think there is a, a recognition that there's kind of a new way to look at these things. So I mentioned that uh, work that we're doing ongoing um, on deferred maintenance and we've done work on deferred maintenance before in other ways, but we're, um, you know, they've asked us to take like a different look at it, a, approach it from a different perspective. So I think they are kind of grasping um, that there's a different way to look at these issues and a different way to to um, to um, to maybe make find some efficiencies um, and find some ways to to make some things work better, like Andrew said, rather than just um, you know throwing more money at them that we that we maybe don't have. Um, and they and they've also been really receptive to some of the recommendations uh, that we've made. Um, I mentioned that recommendation we made to OMB about enhancing the the guidance. Um, uh, to kind of make that link between um, uh, planning and, and, and incorporating resilience information into those uh, investment decisions. Uh, and, and one of the clients that we've been speaking to is, is thinking about, well, maybe we should write that into some legislation. So, you know, they're, you know, being really receptive to these, to these ideas, I think. That's encouraging to hear. Jim? Yeah, uh, just to piggyback off that uh, interesting question, uh we've always we've noted that short term sorry that my dog is barking uh, i am sitting outside at 70 degrees it's beautiful the uh, uh the short term view especially of elected officials uh you know any thoughts on that or any uh ideas on how to approach that as a topic to uh help people have a longer term view We need a study. <laughs> well, I mean, there, there's, there's definitely this question of sustainability of um, this. You know, so we have this big investment going on now, right? Or will be going on over the next several years. Um, and so, you know, we still have on our, on our high risk list this idea of funding uh, nation's transportation uh, uh, systems and the sustainability of that that funding um, mechanism. The same is true in telecommunications as well, uh, just in terms of, you know, we're, we're building out all this infrastructure, but then what happens, you know, five years from now, who, do we have the money to maintain it? Are people using it? Is it, um, you know, is, is there, you know, are we following through in a sustainable manner to, to make sure that that infrastructure is, um, you know, leading to benefits that we hope that it would? Um, so it, it's, it's hard to, yeah, I don't know if you can ever get around the idea that uh, you know politicians are looking towards you know towards you know perhaps shorter term gains, um, but GAO kind of has a longer term view of things, and this is why things are continue to be on our high risk list, why things continue to be um, you know key issue areas for us to continue to look at. Um, that's sort of the best answer I can give there, Jim. Yeah, I mean, I guess just adding adding to that, I mean, I think that's also where, you know, when we're doing these assessments using criteria like the asset management framework, it isn't an effort to make recommendations to get agencies to think longer term and plan longer term and follow through on those types of things. So that's another, you know, our, our reports can offer that longer view as well. We do know that the Federal uh, Transit Administration is uh, advanced in its asset management understanding. I don't know how they got uh, the wording into MAP 21 to require an asset management plan in order to receive funding, but which legislator do I have to ask to have you do a study on whether that is effective? Because I think that would be a, a really powerful thing. I think more agencies would start requiring that. And I'm you know, personally hoping that they figure out a way to put that into the rules and regulations, because if we give people money, they should tell us what they're going to be using it for. It's pretty simple. We actually did a study on that, Mike. Uh, it was one of, the, one of the reports that I uh, was on that slide earlier, um, where we oh, the transportation how that was being rolled out. Yeah, okay. that was uh, that was that was FTA's efforts to um, you know to improve transit asset management across the board and and with that authority that you just mentioned and so um, we have 
some recommendations that are still open there in terms of uh, having them have a continuous improvement process related to that. Um, there were there were some things like um, you know different investment scenario tools that they weren't requiring agencies to use uh, because they didn't want to burden smaller agencies. But we felt like there's you know still some opportunities there in smaller agencies. That's why you would give them the tool so that they were able to do something like that without a large expense of a you know a, a consultant or something like that. Um, and so we have a few recommendations related to that um, and that we will continue to follow up with. That is the perfect way to cap this excellent presentation. Thank you, uh, all of you. And uh, I'll reach out and thank Biza also. Uh, this has been a, a wonderful cap uh, to our day. And uh, thank you for your, your efforts. I didn't know about the Government Accountability Office until I joined the Asset Leadership Network. And now it's my favorite federal agency. So thank you for what you do. Uh, Jack Dempsey, thanks for uh, giving uh, perspective on this and the uh, National Academy of Sciences Board on Infrastructure and Constructive Environment. Jim, thanks for getting this whole ball rolling. And Nick, thanks for being our Director of Technology. And if you could, uh, uh, we'd like to thank our uh, organizational members. Um, yeah, well, tomorrow, yep, sorry. Tomorrow's not going to be as crazy as today. We only have two panels. Uh, one is on uh, transportation and the learning from international infrastructure asset leadership success, I think is going to be really exciting. We've got quite a lineup for that. And um, then our patron members, uh, uh, including Definitive Logic, uh, where J Jack is the director. Thank you so much for your support. It's the first time we get to directly thank uh, a patron uh, sponsor. Uh, thank you. And um, our organizational members, the heartbeat of our uh, organization. And it's growing, so that's nice. And uh, in addition to uh, our program tomorrow, on Thursday, uh, Thursday at 3 is going to be with uh, Michael Demers, who is now with Grant Thornton, but was with the M Missouri Department of Transportation. And he brings a, a great understanding of the link between state uh, and federal government. So. Um, Appreciate all of the participants, uh, uh, the attendees who uh, uh, were here. Thanks for uh, joining us. And again, thanks to the GAO. Uh, you do spectacular work. Anything we can do to help herald what you're doing, let us know. We hope you enjoyed our podcast, and we would like to thank the Andrew James Advisory Group for their sponsorship. For more information about AJAG and their services, please visit www.andrewjamesadvisory.com or email info at andrewjamesadvisory.com.